The following Knowledge at Warden podcast is brought to you by Vanguard, offering investments designed to help individuals and institutions reach their financial goals. Visit Vanguard.com. It's been an exciting couple of weeks for fans of digital downloads of both music and movies. On September 14th, Microsoft officially announced its Zune portable music player, along with the Zune Marketplace download service, which are intended to go head-to-head with Apple's iPod and iTunes. Although pricing hasn't been announced, the Zune plans to introduce a number of clever features, including the ability to allow users to share music with friends by wirelessly sending tunes to each other for a limited number of plays. Apple, of course, isn't standing still. Two days earlier, Apple announced several new models of its iPod music player, but perhaps more significantly, it also introduced the availability of movie downloads from iTunes, which has now changed its name from the iTunes Music Store to simply the iTunes Store, along with a planned device dubbed ITV to beam movies from your PC to your large screen TV. And that's not all either. On September 7th, Amazon.com announced its Unbox service, offering downloads of TV shows and movies, with an option to rent or own the digital movies. Apple, on the other hand, provides a download-to-own service only. While it looks like the era of ubiquitous digital entertainment may finally be upon us, it's not clear that all these models will prove to be successful. I'm Kendall Whitehouse, Technology Editor for Knowledge at Wharton, and I'm here with Wharton Marketing Professor Pete Fader and Legal Studies Professor Kevin Werbach, along with Makul Pandya, Knowledge at Wharton's Executive Director, to find out which of these approaches hold the most promise to deliver convenient entertainment options to consumers and lasting value for their company's shareholders. Uh, let's, let's start with what's new in uh, music downloads. Uh, one of the most noteworthy features of Microsoft's Zune will be the ability for users to wirelessly send songs to other Zune users, who can then listen to the tunes for up to three times within a three-day period. Is this the killer feature for digital music that Microsoft's hope it will be? Uh, that's not a killer feature. People have been uh, finding ways to share music uh, through authorized or unauthorized means for a long time, and it's, it's not clear that this is going to make their life any easier or better in that regard. Uh, the fact that it's a step beyond what uh, the iPod offers is, is, a, is a nice indication. Of course, there's a lot of things that the iPod doesn't offer, and I think it's increasingly clear that it's not the wonderful device that it was five years ago. But I think there's still a long way to go before people are holding in their hand a device that's going to meet all of their their music needs. Yeah, it's worth remembering that one of the killer features of the original iPod was that the version of digital rights management it used allowed people to um, not necessarily share music with other people, but share music themselves among multiple devices in a way that until then the music industry hadn't permitted. So, yeah, I I agree with Pete. Sharing is valuable. Uh, The ability to do it wirelessly... I don't think changed anything immediately, especially because it's only among Zune users, of which you know of now there are approximately zero. Um, certainly, there'll be more as Microsoft sells the devices, but uh, you know it's a proprietary system. Um, I think, though, it's it's important as a, a signal um, that wireless is going to be an important piece of the digital distribution landscape. Um, and as we have companies like Microsoft and Apple involved who are uh, playing this as software providers, hardware providers, uh, systems and services providers, and, and transaction platform providers potentially, um, that, that wireless is going to be a significant part of the equation going forward. But we're not all the way there yet. 
Let's look at one other feature that uh, the Zune, as well as some of the SanDisk players, uh, will have that that the iPod doesn't have, and that's the ability to uh, access content from a flat rate subscription service. Uh, would Apple be smart to follow suit? I think uh, not only uh, would Apple be smart to follow suit, I think they've been foolish for not following suit so far. Uh, it's very interesting that when they first announced the uh, iTunes Music Store, uh, it was one rant after another by Steve Jobs about how people don't want to rent their music, they want to own, and so on. Uh, I think a lot of people disagree with that. But he hasn't made those kinds of statements, not nearly as, as frequently or forcefully lately. So reading things into things, I think it's fair to, uh, to guess that Apple will introduce something like that. And when they do, two things will happen. Uh, it will be a huge success. I think uh, Apple zealots will do whatever Steve Jobs tells them to do, but this is something that will make them uh, their lives genuinely better. And number two, it will leg legitimize the subscription model so that some of the services like uh, Rhapsody and the new Napster and, and, and uh, some of the Yahoo Music services that have basically plateaued will see new life when all of a sudden they can be viable choices uh, to some of these, these uh, uh, newer services. Yeah, it's important to keep in mind that that Apple's business here, and 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 you know, if you look at it to a first approximation, Apple's whole business is selling iPods. They don't make any significant amount of money on iTunes. Uh, it's a, a leverage point to sell these devices, which which have a very healthy profit margin. So, I, I think Pete's right that that subscriptions is is a an important piece of the business model puzzle that users want, um, and therefore, to the extent that not having that hurts Apple in selling iPods. They'll go that way, um, but I don't. I don't think that they necessarily need to see it as a significant new revenue opportunity on its own. You know, what, what's interesting is that some of the new players, uh, like the Zune and the SanDisk, uh, are, are now uh, apparently going to come preloaded with music that the user can listen to for some time, and then later, you know, uh, after listening to it for a certain time, have an option to buy it. This reminds me a little bit of uh, some of the security software that comes loaded on your computer when you buy it, and then a, f a few months down the road, you've got to start paying for it. Do you think this is a clever idea when applied to music? I think it's only the lack of uh, creativity of the music industry um, that's responsible for the fact that every PC you buy doesn't come preloaded with virtually every piece of commercial music ever recorded. The hard drives are there. Um, that cuts out a huge piece of the distribution. It's easy enough to do rights management so that that wouldn't be widely available. Um, I think we're going to see that. I think as hard drive densities increase, we're going to see that for movies. Uh, you know, if there's an opportunity to get any incremental revenue, given that the cost is minuscule, why doesn't every PC you buy come with a thousand movies uh, on the hard drive? Um, so we'll see that. It's just, you know, the music industry is so concerned about piracy. Uh, they're moving forward, I think, you know, as, as they're being forced to by the market, but they're, they're still not there. I also like the, the analogy you make to, to PCs uh, that, that come loaded with software. People tend not to like those bundles. People tend to, to think this is cluttering it up. I don't want it here. And I think it's particularly true in, in the current case where they're putting on particular pieces of content, you know, chosen out of millions of alternatives instead of giving people choices. Uh, I, I think it's kind of a lame effort to give people value for their dollar. And, and not only will it not create satisfaction, but it gives consumers the idea that, that these things are being forced on us. It's probably some kind of marketing deal. And I think it raises skepticism more than it raises satisfaction. It is also, and I am getting ahead in terms of talking about movies, um, but it's it's going to be an important issue in terms of network capacity. 
Uh, you know, I mean, already, if you look at traffic on the Internet, um, there are estimates that roughly a third of all traffic on the global Internet is peer-to-peer file sharing. Uh, most of that is video, not music, because the, the, the file sizes are so much bigger. Um, but as these services start to take off, especially as they go towards video, um, it's going to be a huge uh, demand driver for network capacity. Um, these alternatives that involve putting things on hard drives and not transferring them over the network each time are, are going to be important as ways to take some of that load off the network. Well, we may have been hinting at this, but let's take it head on. Pete, earlier you said it'll be a while until people hold in their hands a device that meets all of their needs. Let's spec that out. What would that be? What features would would be the ultimate thing to play audio on? Well, it's going to be a device that's going to have access to every song ever written or at least every song that, that artists will allow to be uh, transferred to users. So it's, it's not going to involve downloading. Downloading is not an enjoyable task. It's a, it's a necessary step that people have to go through to get access to their music. It'll be much nicer to have access to a million, two million, ten million songs, uh, perhaps organized by genre or playlist or whatever. So when I'm walking down the street and I want to hear a certain artist, I don't have to say, darn, I forgot to download that this morning. So it's going to be the celestial jukebox, as Knowledge Warden has, has written about previously. Uh, and it's also going to have other features as well. For instance, FM radio. There's a lot of time when you don't want to choose. You just want to uh, be listening to music in a more passive manner. A lot of current devices offer FM, uh, but it's interesting that the iPod doesn't for all the bells and whistles that it supposedly has. Not the kinds of features that you might want to be holding in your hand. Uh, for instance, uh, recording capabilities, whether it's recording the music, which is a controversial topic by itself, or even a voice recorder. So there's a lot of simple features uh, that, that can make this device more versatile, uh, but they're not, not really on the table, at least as discussion points right now. You know, beauty's in the eye of the beholder, so everyone doesn't want the same device. Um, I don't have an iPod. I don't have a music device. I have a 4-gigabyte memory card in my phone, which is a Trio smartphone, uh, and I play music off of that. I download things off of Rhapsody um, onto that service. Um, I don't want to carry two things in my pocket, and I'm not going to go without my phone. That's just me. Um, obviously, you know, Apple's success shows that people will buy iPods, um, but people will make different sorts of trade-offs. Um, but, but Pete is, is, is certainly right that you know, even within the realm of music players, um, you know, th- th- there's a ways to go to sort of get that full accessibility. And, and also, I-, I think he's also right, there-, there are two modalities. One modality is, um, you know, I want to hear this song or this artist. Another is, I want to listen to the radio. And-, and that might not necessarily be FM. That could be streamed over the Internet. There are services like Pandora, Last FM that have collaborative filtering engines to help people find new music. Um, on the internet, um, getting those widely into mobile devices, I think, will will cause a great uptick of usage as well. I think the the real battle isn't going to be over the specific uh, features and uh, and all that, but it's going to be what will be the the technology that brings it. Will it be Wi-Fi? That's what we're talking about a lot with Zoom, or, or can it be uh, through the cellular networks? As uh, as some people are, are are starting to try, certainly in uh, in, in uh, uh, Korea and Japan, for instance, uh, or will it be through the satellite? Uh, so there's a lot of different ways that can happen, and I think we should focus more on the technology that's going to bring it to us rather than some of the, the bells and whistles that will be sitting on top of that ultimate device. Well, that brings up the issue of then what are the constraints in getting there? Is it that there are still technology hurdles? Is it the price point would be too high? Why don't we have that device now? 
Well, one reason why is the content providers uh, who have made it very difficult for uh, for hardware manufacturers to develop and market this kind of device. You look at the controversy going on right now with uh, the satellite radio that does allow you to record and the music industry trying to stop a device like that that makes its customers happy. Uh, so I think people are, are just much more hesitant to make those kinds of investments uh, and to go to market risking losses before the device is uh, uh, even commercialized. Uh, before we go on to the, the movie part of the discussion, I'd just like uh, to spend one, uh, uh, ask one question about Microsoft's strategy. I mean, uh, even though Kevin said that he doesn't have an iPod, clearly there are lots and lots of people who do, which is why uh, Apple has, uh, you know, 75% market share. Uh, seriously, do you think Microsoft is going to be able to take on Apple in this space? Uh, it's sort of funny to be asked a technology question about Microsoft, and, and with, with the premise being, do you think they can possibly succeed? Poor Microsoft. Um, um, can they take on Apple? Sure. Will they win? Unclear. Um, and it depends on what kind of market this is. Um, Apple has succeeded wildly with the iPod and iTunes because uh, it has great industrial design, uh, great user interface. Um, and a seamless experience connecting hardware and software. Um, lots of other people, you know, had each of those, you know, the, the, the device and the service before, and lots of other people are doing it. No one has done it so well. Um, Microsoft is probably not going to beat Apple on design and user interface. Um, on the other hand, Microsoft has a lot of pieces that Apple doesn't have, like uh, 95 plus percent market share of Windows uh, in the PC market, like the Windows PC platform, like the Xbox platform, um, and uh, you know relationships with uh, content owners. Apple has a strong relationship with Disney because Steve Jobs is on the board of both, um, but Microsoft has all sorts of other relationships with content owners. So, you know, they each bring something to the table. The, the other piece is, is you know to get back to what I said before. This is a piece of a larger battle for both of these companies. I mean, it, for Apple, it's more central because again, it's such a huge chunk now of their profitability. Uh, you know, Microsoft. You know, at the end of the day, could care less if they make money or not on selling a little handheld music device. Um, it's a wedge into a huge business opportunity for all their other products. It's interesting and, and perhaps sad that uh, we look at the players here. We're focusing strictly on hardware. Uh, and that the content providers themselves are are, are now kind of uh, second tier players, just just providing stuff uh, for these devices to play. It'd be nice to see the industry shift in a way where the content providers uh, have an equal say about the future of the industry. And I'm, I'm hoping that there'll be a moves in that direction. And, and where the innovation comes from, the content providers, and that, that's the piece of it as well. I think the content providers resist the notion that content is this fungible thing. But that's partly because they, they've structured the market in such a way that you know, they, they haven't been willing to come up with new models, to be, to be open to mashups and various things people are doing with content, podcasts and so forth. That's innovation at the content level. Uh, because it hasn't happened as much, the innovation has had to come from the hardware. And, of course, it's a good time to acknowledge the, the uh, terrific news lately, uh, the deal between YouTube and Warner Music, uh, the uh, deal about a week or so ago uh, about Universal making its uh, uh, songs available through a Spiral Frog service. So it's nice to see the content providers stepping up on their own, unilaterally, saying, hey, here's something that we think will make our customers happy, instead of all speaking through, with one voice through lawyers. So uh, there are signs of hope. Well, let's switch now to what's new in downloads of Hollywood films. Uh, Cinema Now and MovieLink have offered downloads of films for quite a while now with moderate success. Now, Apple and Amazon.com have come into this space. So what's the secret to make this work? 
Well, there, there are a number of pieces of it. I, I, we're not at the end game yet. Uh, you know, I, I think the market of people who want to, you know, access, download a full Hollywood film and sit there and watch it on their laptop screen, it's it's there. It's something. It'll be something bigger, but it's limited. Uh, you know, the, the film experience is really ultimately about getting it onto a TV, um, one of those, you know, beautiful, you know, 40 plus inch high definition plasma TVs. Um, but in order to get it there, you've got to get it, you know, into your home to begin with. Um, and, you know, that's where there, there's been this, this barrier, um, somewhat technological, somewhat industry related, um, and so forth. Um, and each of these services is, is a move in that direction. The other thing is that, uh, you know, Hollywood films, you know, whatever the discussion is about online video distribution, it, the talk always goes first to Hollywood films. It's a big industry, but, you know, the Hollywood film is a teeny piece of the potential video landscape. Um, and I think um, with the kind of choice and possibility that, that's going to be out there, um, I actually don't think it's going to be the be-all and end-all of online video. It'll be sort of a nice teaser, and there's certain, you know, people will pay a lot of money to see certain blockbusters right when they come out and own them and see them in super high def. Um, but most of the, the online video explosion is going to be other sorts of formats. It's interesting to see how people put Amazon and, and the Apple, the new ITV service, in the same sentence. They're very, very different from each other, especially when you look at the companies providing them. Uh, Amazon is a reseller of stuff. Uh, they make the sales process easy. They make a lot of things available. People don't necessarily hold them accountable for the stuff itself. That's great. So they can uh, be in the movie distribution business. It's just another tab on the Amazon homepage. Whereas Apple, for a variety of reasons, is more associated with the actual consumption and experience of the stuff. And I think with ITV, they've gone a little bit too far because this is a device and a service that lacks all the, all the cachet of the iPod. It's a rather generic-looking box. It's not something you carry around that, that will look cool and, and people will want to talk about. The service that will deliver is going to be largely equivalent to the other services that exist and really no better, in fact, currently worse than watching a DVD. Uh, and it's the first time that they've went into a fairly crowded market against players, not only like Amazon, but like Walmart. And I think it's going to be very hard for them to compete there. On the other hand, I think they had to go there. I mean, that's, you know, I mean, Microsoft is in the living room with the media PC and the Xbox. Um, Apple needs to be there. And, and, and I mean, I'd agree with you. I mean, the, the ITV device not out yet, so all we've got are sort of the tidbits that Steve Jobs has released. And I, I, yeah, I'd agree with you. It doesn't, it's not clear that this is going to be a world-beater device like the iPod was. But, um, you know, it's sort of what, what took Apple so long to, to go into the living room. But I'm not sure Apple needs to do that. I think uh, Apple has survived being a, a niche player, picking its battles very carefully and doing them uh, very well in a world-class way. I think being just another me-too player in a, in a crowded market space, one where consumers are reasonably aware of the technology and aren't particularly satisfied with it, I don't think it's a place where they want to be. Speaking of Amazon and Apple, uh, uh, what do you th I wonder what you think of this uh, rental model that Amazon has uh, versus uh, uh, Apple's uh, offer of letting you download a movie to play it, uh, to own it indefinitely? Well, I have uh, one word, which is Netflix. Uh, there, there's a, a company that really uh, embodies a digital distribution or non-digital distribution, but uh, but contemporary distribution at its very, very best. Uh, and I don't think anyone is dissatisfied with Netflix because they can't own. In fact, it's an enjoyable process to know that you can just dump the movie and get something else. 
So I, I think the, the, the big deal about ownership, again, a lot of that is attributable to Steve Jobs for, for uh, obvious reasons, is way overplayed. And I think in a lot of situations, people would much rather rent and just have the option value that that kind of service provides. Yeah, I mean, all these models are going to going to be there, and I mean, it's it's sort of like saying, well, you know, with 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 videotape rentals over the last you know twenty years, do people want to own or to buy? Well, you know, or both uh, in different circumstances, depending on the price, depending on the movie. Um, and companies like Disney have been very creative with DVDs in terms of offering different prices and formats and, and so forth and using multiple distribution channels. So, so again, we'll, we'll see all of that. Um, it, it's an artificial limitation, I would agree, that rental is not a significant piece of this market opportunity, um, but that's, that'll go away. Well, since you brought it up, let's talk about the price of downloading versus the price of buying the DVD. Uh, reportedly, Walmart, which sells a lot of DVDs, uh, isn't pleased at the price point of the downloads. And um, they're actually pushing back to Hollywood, saying that their wholesale price for DVDs has to come down so they don't have to charge more for the DVD than other places charge for the download. Should Hollywood pay attention? Well, that's another advantage to the rental, to the subscription model, is that it, it shields people from the, the price of each piece of content. It's very hard to look at, at a monthly fee and, and break it down to a per-use basis. Uh, you, again, you're just paying for option value at that point. So that, that's, that's one nice way to avoid uh, the wrath of Walmart because they're a very difficult uh, company to contend with. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, look, Hollywood uh – originally wanted DVDs to be $70, $80, $90 each for movies, which is what they were. Uh, and then Warner Brothers actually you know, had a, some visionary people there who said, well, you know, there's this thing called the elasticity of demand. You bring the cost down to $20, $25, $30. People will buy DVDs that never would have thought about buying DVDs. Um, best thing that ever happened to Hollywood was this massive explosion of DVD rental because they dropped the price, which they didn't want to do early on. Um, so, you know, again, they're, they're, they're different models for pricing content. And, I mean, you think about sort of, well, you know, what's television worth? I mean, broadcast television, we know it. Is it worth something? Well, yeah. I mean, the television industry would say it's worth an awful lot. What do they charge for it? Well, nothing. It's free. It's a $30, $40, 50000000000 billion uh, industry. I don't know what the current numbers are. Entirely based on advertising. Now, you would say then, well, then can no one compete against free? Well, sure you can compete against free. There's cable. So now, you know, at the same time you have people giving away all this valuable TV content, you have other subscribers paying 100 bucks a month for the same stuff that broadcast is giving away. So, uh, you know, again... You know, the market will find, you know, its its price points and its models, uh, and there are multiple ones that are going to work. Um, it's, it's, it just sort of takes a while for the industry players to be willing to go along with that. And now one other point to add to that is from the consumer perspective, not just from the, the supply side. Uh, consumers don't mind paying money when they get a thing, not only that they can experience, but that they can put on their shelf uh, and, and, and have in their hands. Uh, if you look at, at uh, people buying content over the internet, if you, if you think about it, video on demand has not been nearly as successful as everyone projected five, ten years ago. And so all we're talking about with these movies is just another version of video on demand. Uh, so I think it's, it's very important to sort out uh, the way that people buy content, whether it's digital or, or hard copy. Uh, and I think the price points need to be taken into account in that respect as well. Well, I'm sure we could talk about this for another couple of hours, but I wonder if we could just have one, uh, I could have your views on one last question. Uh, do you have any advice for Apple, 
Microsoft, Amazon, or anybody else who is trying to get into the these two markets, digital movies or digital music, what's your advice? Part of it is uh, is I have just a lot of respect for both those companies, which is kind of a a Weasley way to to, to approach it. But uh, they they approach their, uh, their their businesses in in very different ways, and I think that's ultimately good for consumers. Uh, and and it, it's just fun to watch these different experiments play out. And I think we keep talking about Microsoft and Apple, and there's a lot of other players on the fringe, companies like Music Gremlin that's already come out with the wireless device. So I think we just want to encourage innovation. We want to encourage consumers to go out there and try these things, and we want to encourage markets to report accurately on how well all these devices are doing. Uh, and I think then the, the, the world will be better for everybody. Uh, I mean, long term, the content wants to be free. And people want access to everything, you know, however they want it, um, which means a, an interoperable world, which, which none of these things are anywhere close to with the proprietary nature of the platforms and digital rights management and so forth. Um, short term, that's not going to happen. Long term, it's inevitable. So I think the question would be, how do you survive in this current world where there's all sorts of artificial constraints, um, some of which they, these companies put on themselves for business reasons. I mean, you look at you know, Sony keeps shooting itself in the foot by being even more proprietary than, than uh, anyone else. Um, but how do you not kill yourself over the long run in a situation where a lot of these things will be commoditized and it's just going to be a platform for new kinds of higher level innovation, as we've seen with basically everything else on the internet, um, that you know, it's, it's the Googles that come around later and create innovation on top of the platform that ultimately generate the most value. Great. Thank you all for joining us. For more information, please visit our website at knowledge.wharton.com dot upenn dot edu.